1: Today's show is brought to you by OnPay, the new standard in payroll. You can pay employees and contractors in minutes, automate your payroll taxes and filings, as well as provide health benefits and HR in all 50 states. For more information, visit buildingthefutureshow.com slash OnPay. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Mike Smirklow. He's an entrepreneur, investor, and part-time author. Mike, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Kevin. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you're doing and what you've done is very innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into all that stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
0: Yeah, I grew up in Toledo, Ohio.
1: Okay, very cool. You went to university. What did you take and why?
0: Well, a little bit of... um I grew up the first person in my family to actually go to college. Oh, interesting. So so a little bit was um, what college would take me. Uh, (laughs) So I went to Miami University. I had dreams of trying to play basketball there, but pretty quickly those were uh, dashed. And I started to focus on business. I I had a general interest in business, uh, but as I talk a little bit about my book, I just wanted to get educated and I wanted to develop some different life than I had seen growing up. I happened to have a a distant relative who had studied accounting and suggested that that would be a good way to get the foundation or the language of business. Uh, So that's what I studied and, and that led me to my first job.
1: Very cool. So walk us through your career, getting your MBA and then what you're doing today.
0: Yeah, so I, so I did, as I, I graduated, degree in accounting. I went out and went to a job at, literally, I think I was at my job at Ernst & Young, a great accounting firm. But I think it was there probably 24, maybe 36 hours when I went, <laughs> what have I done? Um, but I did do that job for a couple of years. It was a good foundation and really served me later in life. And then I went to work in investment banking, a job that was grueling, exhausting, and filled with spreadsheets, but also one that I learned a ton sucked sure. the life out of me, um, but, I, but I learned a lot. And then I did get my MBA from Northwestern. And then I moved out to Silicon Valley in the late 90s. Uh, okay. I was very fortunate to uh, be out there you know, late in the dot-com bubble and, and started building my career from there.
1: Very cool. So walk us through co-founding Next Coast Ventures and what decide, or what made you decide to actually start your own investment firm?
0: Well, yeah. So I had been an operator, an entrepreneur and operator in the valley for almost 15 years or longer. I reached a point where a combination of I was exhausted, but also where my personal life was. I had four young children. I didn't want to go back to operate. And so I did some soul searching and looked at where I thought what my passion was, which is really about entrepreneurship and how I thought I could help. And that led to the founding of, uh, of Next Coast Ventures. And it really was about how can I provide uh, I've got a co-founder, so there's two of us at the time. Now, the firm's much bigger. But our whole tagline was built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. And our ethos was, how can we bring some of the experiences we've had, in addition to money, to, uh, to entrepreneurs outside of the coast? We're headquartered in Austin, Texas, but we invest, generally speaking, in the middle part of the United States.
1: Interesting. Okay. So it it's cool Well, to meet investors that have actually kind of been there, right? Like I find sometimes, and I'm not saying it's bad because it's a different skill set if you don't, but like sometimes if you've never really done it, sometimes like giving advice on certain things, it becomes hard. Do you agree with that? Or what are your thoughts around that?
0: Couldn't agree more. I, I literally, it does drive me a bit crazy. And there's some amazing investors who have never been operators. So let me start with that. But the number of times I've sat in a board meeting and I had great investors in my company, but there would be these platitudes that would come across you know hire the best athlete and go, what the hell do i do me, what the heck do i do with that you know? and so really i think the hard part is th- there is something about pattern recognition from investors where they've seen things before but you know we try and go much deeper with that and give pragmatic specific advice or observations to help the entrepreneurs because i think you know as an entrepreneur your job's so doggone hard you get so many things to worry about you don't need to go to a board meeting and have someone say you know, hire the best athletes or go big or go home or something silly (laughs) like that. That you walk, I mean, you know, you're, you're an entrepreneur, you've had that experience and you go, I'm not sure what to do with that. So we try and avoid that as much as we can.
1: No, that that's really great. So you mentioned you kind of invest in uh, kind of, well, how do you describe it? You're not like, obviously you probably have invested in, in Silicon Valley, but you're investing kind of more in the middle. What does that mean, and what industries do you typically like to invest in, and why? Yeah, great question.
0: So we we invest in early stage technology companies. That means typically Series A, Series B, venture venture backed companies. Okay. Our average check size is five to ten million dollars. Um, we like to lead those rounds and take board seats. What that means, and when I say the when we say outside the coast, it's not it's not a specific geographic. Got gotcha. you. more a mindset around capital consumption. A lot of the uh, companies in the valley, uh, certainly in the valley or, or markets like that, are now raising hundreds of millions of dollars from day one. They're burning tremendous amounts of capital with the goal of building really outstanding, massive companies. We obviously love that game or, or appreciate that game. That's not our game. We're looking for more capital efficient businesses, still disruptive and innovative, but not dependent on becoming a $10 billion business for our fund to work.
1: Got you. Okay. So then is there specific verticals you guys like to invest in? Are you pretty open or walk us through that?
0: Yeah, we tend to be, it's a relatively small firm. we got a quarter of a billion dollars, so $250 million of assets under management. So it's not a massive fund. So therefore we have to be efficient. We tend to be more thematic than okay. we are sectorial. And what that means, we're very fortunate about five years ago, we were spending our time and energy on the future of work, the changing face of retail, um, healthcare, and and personalization of healthcare were three of our our primary themes in Fund One and Fund Two. So we approach it more that way. What it tends to mean for sectors is we do B two B software as a service, some consumer, and some emerging infrastructure plays, and then we avoid kind of everything outside of that because we're just we're not big enough to. We're not going to invest in crypto or or cybersecurity, for example. Uh, Those are just things that are too far out, too far afield, and and we don't have the depth to really go deep on them.
1: Okay. So you kind of mentioned early stage Series A. Can you walk us through, does a company need to be generating revenue before you will give them a Series A? Because, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like Seed... Series A, all the different investment terms, depending on where you are in the country, mean different things. So I just want to get some clarification: what does that mean to your like Next Coast uh, Ventures exactly, and yourself?
0: Yeah, it's it's really funny. It's become a bit of a not just alphabet soup, but but very, to your point, very geographic specific. Um, so when when we think about it, we take ten percent of our fund where we put in what's more seed or innovation. And that typically, I put that in the ideation phase. We think of it a little bit differently, which is there's ideation, you know, do you have a concept? Is there something there? Is there members of the team and a market that does easily to understand or explain? We put 10% of the fund into that, and that's usually passive. Gotcha. Our real bread and butter, rather than using series A, series B would be either, you've got product market fit, and you're looking to expand out your go-to-market capabilities, that's usually a series A. Okay. Or you've demonstrated some success, your, your past product market fit, you've got some customers and you're starting to scale, but you really need to think about how to scale all aspects of the business, typically go to market being the primary one. But those are really the areas we play the most. And and that tends to be in the next coast markets, a series A or series B.
1: Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. So for people that are looking to pitch you guys or potentially get funding from you guys. Do you have some advice or what you guys are looking for? Does it really depend? Or or walk us through how people can actually potentially get money from you guys.
0: Yeah. So one thing we do on our website at Next Coast Ventures is we lay out all our themes. So we, we don't want it to be a mystery at all what we're looking for. So it's there. If you go to Next Coast Ventures, we just updated them in a round two during COVID. It was a, an interesting house uh, house cleaning exercise. We said, okay, we've got our themes. Have we have we prosecuted them to the next level, which we did and, and republished them. So that's all on our website. So you can see where our areas of focus are. And then secondarily, what we encourage, and I get asked quite a bit about how do we evaluate opportunities? It's very simple. It starts with how big is the market? Is it a market opportunity that's big enough to create venture-like returns. And second level down is, is the idea disruptive. And I always use the example, listen, ride sharing is a really big market, still a big market, but I think Uber and Lyft have kind of, kind of nailed it. So sure. if you came forward with a, a ride sharing idea, probably we would argue maybe not that disruptive an idea. But then the last and, and by far the most important attribute is the entrepreneur. And is she, we use a term called glass eater. And what that means to us is it's someone who understands how tough it is to build a business and is willing to do everything within legal and ethical boundaries. And we're very clear about that to build an amazing business. And so that's more of a a test of the entrepreneur's mental tenacity. That's where we spend the bulk of our time and usually is the deciding factor in whether or not we invest.
1: Interesting. So then, and how open are you to, okay, like say you give so-and-so money because you believe in them, how open are you to if they have to pivot the idea months in or years into the project then? Or investment, sorry.
0: Yeah. so I literally have this. uh, That's a great question. I have this conversation going on right now with two entrepreneurs, super open. I think there's so many good examples of of entrepreneurs that if you have a good team and you've got a good team that likes to work together and they have the chemistry required to get through all the ups and downs of excuse me, entrepreneurship. That's a really, really rare find to begin with. So if you have one or more folks that are dedicated and focused and they are, they had an original idea and they just don't love it. I think the other thing is it is so stinking hard to build a business that if you aren't blindly in some way, it's blindly, it's a weird word to use, but if you aren't wildly committed to the idea, I just had this example with two founders of ours. I said, I'd rather, I'd rather have you start over with something that you are massively interested in versus something that you think is an interesting business idea, but you don't have all that energy towards it. So open to it, it happens. And there's a lot of great success stories around pivots, Slack being the most recent yeah, one. I was just going to
1: say that actually, that's funny. Yeah, it's
0: a pretty good one. Yeah. Like, yeah twi- they- <laughs> twi- Twitter, Slack. I mean, there, there's a couple out there.
1: <laughs> no, but it's good that you're open to, to even doing that. Right. Because a lot of investors that I've like, they're, they're not so forward with that. And it's kind of maybe a last resort to to some people. So it's good to know that you guys actually do that. And I agree, like as somebody that's worked in many teams, it is, it's like almost impossible to build a really good team, right? Like, obviously it's not impossible, but like, if you have a really good team, like the idea almost doesn't matter because you can eventually figure out something if you have enough runway.
0: Yeah. And also, I mean, and also to, to the other side of that coin is, when if you're in a bad market, there's an old saying that when when bad market meets great leadership, the market leaves with its reputation intact. So if you have to think about that, you know, think about the sex Like if you're in a bad market or the idea doesn't have as much um, stickiness or momentum as you thought, I'd rather have you change. Plus, I don't want you to waste five years of your life pounding your head against something again if it's the market's not the big or or you simply don't enjoy it.
1: Interesting. So I'm curious then when do you recommend to entrepreneurs to actually get funding? When do you recommend to them to get venture funding? And do you ever tell an entrepreneur, like, no, you don't need venture money or you don't need to raise capital?
0: All the time. Actually, oddly enough, one of the best things I had, I was really fortunate as an operator. I had two, I had multiple great investors, but one of the founders of Benchmark, Bruce Dunleavy was on my board. And then I had a gentleman at a firm called General Atlantic, Mark McMorris, who I had to go through when I was raising capital. I give this up. I give this example because it really taught me. They both taught me a very powerful lesson, in that they sat down and laid out their expectations for the investment at the time of it. And what I mean, and why that helps me, is I sit down all the time with entrepreneurs and say, "I'm going to show you my math." Which a lot of time, entrepreneurs hear it and they go, "I never knew how the business worked." And I said, "Yeah, for a Series A." I need to get eight to 10 times my money back over the next call it five to seven years. For a series B, I may adjust that more to five to seven times over a shorter time period. And I can go into more detail on that. But the point is we walk through the math and then we say to the entrepreneur, are you sure you want to sign up for that? And, And also there's a lot of great businesses that can be bootstrapped and you don't need to dilute yourself. That's the other thing I tell founders is you take on venture capital. One, you get to work with, you know, "Quote unquote, nice guys like me, which maybe not always is, isn't always a blessing, but you, you've got a board you have to deal with, and then you dilute yourself. And so, if you can have a business that you can bootstrap and maintain control and ownership, don't don't waste your time with venture capital. That's a that's a real a real blessing. So we 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 have that conversation. And the other thing I'd add is also talking to entrepreneurs and saying, do you, do you want what what are your expectations? You know, if you own eighty percent of a business and you could sell it for 50 million and you end up walking away an amazing opportunity. You walk away with 40 million bucks. That's a really, really great opportunity. Now, some people would say, I want more, I, you know, that's amazing, but, but I think just being thoughtful around or owning 80% of a business that can be sold for 10 million bucks, that's a great outcome too. Yeah. So just being thoughtful about understanding uh, there's a lot of, you know, fascination in press about venture capital deals and unicorn nonsense, make sure that's right for you and for your business.
1: Interesting. Okay. I, I agree with you. It's interesting that you, you said like the, like just the nonsense around kind of venture capital, I find, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you read about all this stuff around raising money and capital and these unicorns and whatever else that sure, that's maybe like 1% that's happening in the Valley. But what you read about that, like every company in the Valley, this is happening to, it's like, you read about like the 1% that's happening in the Valley and it's probably not happening anywhere else across the country. And I just always kind of find it funny is so many people focus on that 1%, but it's like, there's nothing wrong with building a business that you make a few million dollars a year and you make a hundred grand or 200 grand or whatever you need to live, right? And then maybe trying to raise money and, and trying to get it to 10 mil, 100 mil, whatever. But it's just, it's funny to me, like to demystify some of the unicorn type mentality that you just mentioned. Do you want to talk about some of that or, or maybe, or am I out to lunch or what are your no, thoughts? No,
0: no, no. Well, here's, a, here's an interesting fact. We, we were doing some fundraising work. So there's 600,000 businesses in the U.S., just okay. in the U.S., 600,000 businesses that generate between two and $100 million or $100 million of revenue every year.
1: Okay. So that that
0: that so don't even count the businesses that are less than two million. That's a staggering number of businesses. Sure. The vast majority of them have never raised any capital. They're profitable. And the owner or owners tend to have a pretty good life. So I'm I'm passionate about entrepreneurship. It has had radically changed my life. That's why I wrote this book to inspire folks to to pursue entrepreneurship. I think it is complete nonsense for the world to f- Focus on a handful of companies that have typically raised ginormous amounts of capital and have gotten to a very lofty status and valuation. That's a great subsection of population. But to me, that's like you know the example I would use would be like looking at LeBron James and saying because I'm not LeBron James, I don't ever want to play basketball. Or I'm not Tiger Woods, I don't ever want to golf. I mean, just you know, it's it's silly in some regards. Uh, There are multiple ways to be successful an entrepreneur and the yardstick of, uh, listen, I've, we've got one in our portfolio company. We're very blessed. We had one last week that got announced at a a $1.3 billion valuation. Phenomenal. But, you know, also the other thing I'd say is, Hey, funding is, is one step in the process. I think there's way too much celebration around funding because celebrate when the company gets sold or, you know, even when it goes public, my company went public, you celebrated for about an hour, (laughs) you you, (laughs) you go public, you get to celebrate, you celebrate for a weekend. And then, you know, you wake up to analyst calls on on the following Monday and you start to get back to reality pretty quickly. But my point is you can really celebrate. There's a lot of false celebrations around milestones that are really aren't in my mind, uh, milestones.
1: Sure. So you mentioned the book, what's the book called and why did you actually write the book?
0: The book is called Mr. Monkey and Me, A Real Survival Guide for Entrepreneurs. It is an anti-memoir, so it, it really is not a uh, the story of Mike Smirklo. That would be a, a short blog post at best, um, but it really <laughs> is a lesson that I learned. I was fortunate early in my career, early in the Valley, to see some great entrepreneurs. I worked for Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz, two wow. legendary entrepreneurs and now investors. I ran a business, uh, bought and ran a business for 12 years and took it from next to nothing through IPO uh, and then ran as public company CEO. And now I invest, I've invested in over 50 different companies at Mexico's Ventures. So pretty wide aperture for watching what makes entrepreneurs successful and not successful. The reason I wrote the book is I had found myself writing kind of as a hobby around the mental side of entrepreneurship. And I became increasingly frustrated that there just wasn't really good content. There's a bunch of Lightweight blog posts that talk, you know, what, what did Elon Musk have for breakfast or what does Mark Zuckerberg, you know, do before 6 a.m.? <laughs> Those don't help <laughs> anybody. Uh, you know, that, that's that, 100% that's a, agree. You're really hungry and someone gives you a bag of Doritos, right? And, you know, you eat them and you're like, ah, I don't, I don't, I feel, I don't feel good. I'm still hungry. That to me is that lightweight content. And then the other end of the spectrum, there's some great, very specific how to write a business plan, how to, um, file for incorporation, all that stuff that's really important as well. But I didn't find anything that really talked about the mental aspect of entrepreneurship and how you could build a framework. And there's a formula in the book called the shape formula that I have observed from myself and others about how you can build mental tenacity. And then I give specific tips at the end of every chapter to really try and help entrepreneurs either take the plunge into it or continue to be successful on their journey. That's why I wrote the book.
1: Interesting. Okay. So can you maybe share some of the, the tips and advice that you talk about in the book?
0: Yeah. So um, I, I started off by giving a little bit of background to where my mindset was. And just to be clear, what, what I reason, Mr. Monkey, who's the real star of the book, the monkey, is my personification of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Okay. And so for whatever reason, I talk about my upbringing, which was uh, not exactly um, inspiring, I just was kind of played with uncertainty and fear and doubt around things. And I, I would
1: hold, hold on. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you. But I think that in itself is inspiring to people. Right. Because I, I think it, like the fact that you've had that, and I think majority of entrepreneurs, if not all have that. And the fact that like you worked through it, you've become super successful. Right. Like, I think just to pause for a second there and, to interrupt you on that like I think that's actually really important to mention again
0: well yeah so I mean and I think here, here's the thing I think every I, I'm I know everyone has it I think Jeff Bezos had it when he started Amazon
1: sure he right? probably still might
0: what I still do is I still do. And, and you know, I, my joke is the, the monkey was in here five minutes before this podcast and said, hey, you know, idiot! Well, no one's going to listen to that stupid podcast. And he runs off, right? So <laughs> in, my, in my mind, not because of your podcast, because no, of your I, Yeah, I
1: know.
0: <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I have that. And so what I found is I think everyone does. Sure. I then thought about how I have, again, took the monkey and said, all right, let's, let's, call it, let's put a name to it. Let's start to see it for what it is. And over time, he, in my mind, would say, he's never going to go away. But how can I start to deal and perhaps even benefit and learn from that voice?
1: Sure. No, I think that's, that's actually really good advice. So just I want to dive a little bit deeper into some of the mental stuff that you cover in the book, because I think part of the problem is so many people fear just starting. And I think some, some of that fear comes from. You're always told, or well, not always, but a lot of people will say that you need to like quit your day job. You need to like be all in, you need you can't start as a side hustle, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to talk about some of the things that you believe and you've experienced and seen actually work and not work for people?
0: Yeah, it's it's a great question. I mean, I I, I think side hustles are awesome if they're if it's if it's, if that's what it is, right? If it's something that can generate income passively or actively for you and, and do that. I'm I'm a huge fan of it. I think when I, when I tend to focus on entrepreneurship, I don't wanna diminish that. I tend to go more towards the all in. I think if you really sure. want to build okay. something um, that has the impact, and I, in fact, there's financial impact, but I think about creating jobs, disrupting industries, bringing forth solutions. The world needs entrepreneurship now more than ever it's probably the hardest time to be an entrepreneur. I mean, think about it right now, you're, you're experiencing it perhaps at some level, but you, know, you think about being an entrepreneur right now, you've got to one, deal with all the normal stuff in air quotes you have to deal with, but you've got COVID, you've got remote working, you've got social injustice and the pursuit to make some changes there. As an entrepreneur, all of that's part of your, your responsibility. And so when I, when I talk about the book, it's really about how do you go all in without going crazy? And, and that's not just getting started. That's as you go through the journey. And then when you do achieve success, how do you keep your head? Because there's been some really unfortunate stories of late of entrepreneurs that seemingly had it all and either kind of lost their noodle or, or really went to a, a really dark place. And I think that all has to do with the mental tenacity. And, and that's what the book's about.
1: Interesting. No, I, I 100% agree. I think it's probably one of the most important topics. Well, ever, but now more than ever, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, self-care is really hard. I mean, just think about everyone. We're all suddenly uh, in social isolation as we record this in, in December of 2020. But, you know, all, all the normal things that are, were hard have all gotten harder for the most part. And um, yeah, that, that's what I'm, I'm trying to give some tools and guidelines for folks.
1: Sure. So how do you work with, your entrepreneurs and the people that you and the companies you've invested in to make sure they actually take care of themselves and you know handle them the mental challenges that come with all this stuff
0: well i think the first thing is empathy uh we, we really are aggressive <clears throat> excuse me at next Coast ventures we we openly say all the time just because we are not we've been entrepreneurs we're not gonna try and do your job for you so I think there's just an empathy around, one, what our role is, and then secondarily around all these aspects. And so it does come with mostly coaching with entrepreneurs to make sure, you know, how are you doing? Are you getting some time off? I think with, I wrote a blog about this around Zoom. I mean, the hard part with Zoom is we're working more. Yeah, And I don't know about you, but I've, you know, I've got younger children. There's been times when I'm on, a, I'm on a board call and my children burst in and I'm like, okay, am I either going to be a, a bad dad or a bad board member here, right?
1: There's, yeah, it's you know, hard.
0: Yell at my kids and I'm a bad dad or I or I you know I I, I say oh, sorry I got to take care of my kids and I'm a bad board member. So I just think all of that is really challenging. I think it really is right now. It's a time to be empathetic. It's a time for folks to really make sure you're doing whatever practice it is. It could be meditation, it could be exercise, it could be nature, really making sure those are things are priority. And then last, I mean I don't know if this is really to our entrepreneurship but shutting off the doggone devices, getting off Zoom calls, um, you know, as much as possible, because it just got way too easy to work way too long in my opinion. No, Also kind of an unusual thing for a venture capitalist to say I probably. Was,
1: that was <laughs> what I was just gonna say, but, but it's also good that you're brutally honest about that and, and accept that that's the reality of what's happening, right? Yeah. Because I think so many people, well not just like, they, they almost don't seem to care And it's like, well, do you want to work with that type of person or not, right? You got to obviously make that call, but it's good to know that you understand. And I think the fact that you've actually been an entrepreneur before you became an investor probably really helps with that opinion.
0: I think so. I think it does. Um, I hope it does. Um, and you know, and also I think really we were blessed at Mexico's to work with some amazing entrepreneurs. So a lot of them have this figured out better than I did. Right. But, but I do think there's, there's that empathetic voice that comes through. And I think, uh, when you see that and, and when you're also meeting an entrepreneur and you're talking to them about it, you, you pick up on it pretty quickly. Um, sure. and, and I think most successful entrepreneurs as and I write about this in the book, do understand that balance is going to allow you to, I think balance is a funky topic because I found in the short term, you don't need balance. You can power through for some period of time, but that's a short runway. And eventually if you don't get balance and you don't have self-care somewhere into your life, you are going to hit the wall. And I think that wall can show up as you not having the energy to be a great leader, but it can also show up in in some pretty bad behavior that again, we've, we've had some you know, Uber and we work and others have had have highly profiled uh, around some of the things that happened there.
1: Interesting. I, I agree. It's interesting to hear you say that though, right? And so what advice do you give to people that are stuck with that? Because so many people celebrate that they work 100 plus hour weeks or whatever the number is, right?
0: Yeah. I, I talk about the book. I used to go in and it's funny and this is learned, right? So I, I want to make sure I understand that I don't think I had balance early on. So sure. it's kind of the classic do as I say, not as I, as I did, but I used to tell each one of our rounds of capital, we would, we, I do the pitch meeting and the group of partners would be there and I would take a dramatic pause and I would look each one in the eye and say, I'm either going to make this thing successful, or you can drag my dead body out of my office. And I wouldn't laugh. And Later, one of my investors said, You know, when you said that, we weren't sure you were joking. And I said, I'm not sure I was either. Like I I really was that, you know, nuts about it. And what I found was again, I started to burn out. And then once I started to have a family, all of that, the whole perspective changed and fortunately was able to continue to do the job for some period of time. But I think it's only through that personal experience that I understand that. I don't want. I don't want an entrepreneur. I don't get joy if an entrepreneur is sending me an email at, you know, six o'clock on Saturday. Maybe if it's an urgent message or you know to text on something, but I I don't celebrate entrepreneurs that work a hundred hours a week because I know first first and foremost it's not sustainable, and two it tends not to be healthy, and I think that starts to show up in all aspects of your life as well.
1: Right. Well, and to be fair, if there if your entrepreneur that you invested in is good for a year. year and a half, six months, and then they hit that burnout wall, then it's kind of just as bad, right? As it is. because you don't want them to ever hit that wall. Like you want them to power through, not because like you want your money back, like make sure that might be part of it, but you want them to succeed, right? Like you invest in somebody so they succeed.
0: Yeah. I mean, we think of our job is we're trying to basically help boost up our entrepreneurs in any way, we shape or form? And if our entrepreneurs are wildly successful, then we're successful, but it sure. doesn't work the other way around. So, I mean, yeah, there, there's no, there's no missing what the important one is. It's interesting, you know, it's a bit of a digression, but my favorite business book, someone asked me, this yesterday in a podcast. And I said, it's Shoe Dog, which is a story a of, great uh, book. of Phil Knight. And what I, what I love about it is one, his style, but then the long study, you know, the long study of Nike, this is not a five year, seven year, sure. it's 30 years. Yeah. And so to, to bring that all back together, why I thought of it is that requires balance and perspective and, and, and mental toughness to be able to do that.
1: No, hundred percent agree. I, I want to make sure we definitely cover this. You have kind of a unique reason you wrote the book and where the proceeds of the book actually go to
0: yeah the, the the thank you for bringing it up so i wrote the book again to in, in the spirit of just if i could help one entrepreneur that's great um i wanted to take all the proceeds and give it to something i'm duly passionate about so i went to i mentioned miami university in in southern ohio i was able to set up a scholarship for diverse and underrepresented students right. who are interested in entrepreneurship so every dollar uh, for the book any proceeds of the book go to that scholarship um, I, again, I, I believe the world desperately needs more entrepreneurs, and we certainly need more diversity in entrepreneurship. Uh, and I was fortunate that Miami would partner with me, set up a specific scholarship uh, to help students that have that
1: interest. That's very cool. So, why do you think, and it's kind of a stupid question, but like, why do you think the world needs more entrepreneurs?
0: Yeah, one, it's self serving because it had a massive impact on my life. I went from, you know, a very, Challenging environment, both socially and economically, as a as a young child to now a much different life, all due to entrepreneurship. But more importantly, I just tend to believe that entrepreneurs are more equipped or better equipped to solve the tough problems. And I, I look at all the problems in the world, and there's far too many to count. But at the end of the day, when I look at let's coming let solve uh, coming up with a vaccine for the current pandemic, think about ways that we can educate more of the population on the planet, just to name a few. And I look at it and say, would you rather entrust that to a government or a not-for-profit, no offense, those types of organizations, or would you, or for an entrepreneur? And I think that history has proven, I know history has proven that entrepreneurs, when tasked with massive problems, tend to solve the biggest and hardest things facing us. And I just, I believe that to be the case through and through it's also, I'm a believer in capitalists, but it's not a profit motive in my mind. I just think that the biggest problems in the world will be solved by people with a build mindset that are willing to challenge the status quo and disrupt it. And I think there's greatness that comes from that. There is financial rewards, but there's also job creation. There's development around communities and and innovation. So that's where I'm I'm so passionate about it.
1: Sure. Well, but I also think it also brings the world kind of closer together, right? Like Without some of the technology that we have today, l- a lot of us probably couldn't work from home even five, ten years ago.
0: Yeah, no, and and, and this is where you know we, we tend to, as a society, focus on the negatives, which maybe that brings some good about it. This is this podcast. I don't know about this one, but <laughs> other ones that you've done, um, not not trying to be too self-degrading, uh, but you know, this this podcast can be listened by anybody around the world. Yeah. I mean, just think about that. Five years ago, you get. You get great leaders, entrepreneurs, innovators on it, and someone in any part of the planet can be sitting here and listening to it, hopefully get expired and learn something.
1: That That's totally. in 10
0: years. That's massive.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. So I'm curious, though, what advice do you give to entrepreneurs starting out or thinking about actually doing their own startup? Because... In a lot of cases, that's really, really scary.
0: Yeah, and I do write a lot about in the book. I think, first of all, it's one of the, so the acronym that I came up with, this SHAPE acronym or formula, E is for expectations. And I think the, the hardest part for a lot of times, especially when you're thinking about starting, is expectations. I, the first piece of advice I give is most massive businesses you look at today did not start off with a plan that said, you know, Facebook was not going to be have 2 billion people around the world connected. It was sure. so Mark Zuckerberg could, you know, meet girls at Harvard, right? So, yeah. <laughs> and, and Starbucks was not going to be on every corner. It was because Howard Schultz wanted to replicate a cafe experience he had in Italy and started with one store. So right. I think the, the biggest piece of advice I can give to folks is, is, you know, obviously think about, how big the business is, but make sure it's something that you're interested in. Cause you're going to be thinking about this subject matter for a long, long time. And then two, don't, don't get caught up in, and I see this such a trap with entrepreneurs feeling that the idea isn't big enough, you know, think about market size, but at some point, every great business had to take a small first step. Sure. And that first step is often the most important one because then it leads to momentum and momentum can be really, really powerful.
1: Yeah, it seems like you just kind of need to get started because it's, it's easier to kind of pivot and figure things out as you're kind of doing something than just sitting in front of a whiteboard, like constantly just trying to brainstorm to be the next Facebook, right? Or, or whatever you want to try to be.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I think the technology examples, but let's, let's use Starbucks again. I mean, if you and I were sitting with a whiteboard and I said, I've got an innovative idea for a coffee shop we would think of a million reasons not to do it, starting with Starbucks, sure, right? Sure. But but maybe there's an innovation there. Maybe there's something you're going to do differently or maybe your market isn't currently being served in the way you think it should be. And oh, by the way, it's okay to our earlier conversation. It's okay to have a nice local business that does really well and creates jobs and, and economic prosperity for folks in the community. That's a pretty good thing too.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. That's, yeah, It's it's interesting, right? Like I think the other thing that's, interesting is there's so many good ideas all over the world, right? And it's not that you don't have to nowadays move to certain geographical hotspots to be successful. Do you agree with that?
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting in technology and otherwise, we, we started the firm called Next Coast Ventures for that very, that very premise that there were a desire by entrepreneurs to, A, the tools have gotten so, so much better you know, compared to even 15 years ago or 10 years ago, the, the ability to start a company, it's never been easier from a capital perspective or access. Just think about AWS or, or similar services, what you're able to do on that. And then two, with the remote working tools, you can build a business anywhere. Uh, and I think that three folks are starting, I think COVID have done, of all the negatives, I think one of the positives it's done is really focused on place and had a lot of people start to say, huh, do I really want to commute? Do I want to live in the Bay Area? I did for 20 years. It's a magical place. But do I want to commute an hour and a half, find, struggle for parking, pay exorbitant rents just so I can go sit in an office? Or maybe I'll do that in Bozeman or Austin or or someone similar or my home you know, in the mountains. That's the beauty of, of what's happened in the last six months, I think.
1: No, I 100% agree. Well, and I also think, too, as an entrepreneur you start looking at, well, how can I grow into new markets? Because we have this technology now. I can actually maybe serve a certain market in another country because, well, we're all at home, right? Or whatever, right?
0: Absolutely. And I think the innovation, one of the things I I think about 2020, and there's a lot of reasons to look back and and feel uh, negative about it. I think one of the brilliant outcomes of 2020 is how much innovation happened. Sure. And it's not really being talked about, but just think about you know our own lives, how much you had to innovate. Okay. My kids are now suddenly in the other room or, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go out to, to a restaurant, whatever it is, how much innovation we did there. But I think on the business perspective, I think we're just getting started. And I think a lot of these trends uh, fit, fit in the, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. You know, once you don't travel for business every week and you go, huh, I still was pretty productive. I don't think you put those genies back in the bottle. Some, some activities will certainly come back, but I, I think it's a radical change in our life.
1: No, I 100% agree. And I think it's, it's good that you said that, right? Because obviously there's, it, there's, it's so easy to find the negatives in 2020. And of course there is, but you're right. like People all over the world have had to innovate their own lives, right? And if you could transfer that into... Chasing your own dreams or passions, maybe it's a side hustle, maybe it's a full- time thing, or maybe it goes from one to the other. But I think if people just really think about that and and really evaluate that, they could probably build a really good business for themselves coming out of this.
0: I couldn't agree more. I mean, I really do think it's the old adage of you know the best time to start a business is now, right? And then you know second best time to business start a business tomorrow. I think that's, I stole that from a uh, uh, adage about trees, but it really is. I think it's an amazing time to start a business. I think the innovation and changes that we're facing are providing a ton of opportunity. And I no doubt that phenomenal entrepreneurs are going to step up from all corners of the world and create legendary businesses. So that's what thats what gets me out of bed every day.
1: No, that's very cool. So I'm curious, is there any other advice or or maybe something that you want to demystify that's kind of you've been thinking a lot about lately that's maybe kind of bugging you or you wish you'd see more people do or you maybe wish people would stop doing.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things. <laughs> wanna, um, uh, yeah, let me get in my soapbox. No, I I think the biggest thing for me as it relates to entrepreneurship, let's put it in that category. Sure. Is well, one, I, I think there's too much generic advice out there on social media, just you know, telling you again, I I highlighted earlier those lightweight blog posts but i think the biggest misconception that i see like for example on a shark tank or something like that i think there's a misconception that you come up with an idea you go present it to you know guys like me or gals like you know whatever and and we give you a thumbs up thumbs down and then it's all off to the races i I think more appreciation for what it takes to start and grow a business is needed and so I, i hate the the fantasy that says you know All the quick hit stories, you know, started business, ran it for a couple of years, worth a billion dollars. You know, WhatsApp guy, that phenomenal. You you know, why we all talk about WhatsApp back in the day, or why we talk about Mark Zuckerberg, because they're so stinking rare. They are literally one in whatever. So I think a greater appreciation just for if you're going to do this, it's like I give the example of a book. If you came to me and said, I'm not a runner, but I want to run a marathon it would be really stupid for me to say, well, it's fine, Kevin, just you know, get some shoes and you know, jump in the race and I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> It'd be yeah. horrible advice, right? Yeah. You know, you'd say, okay, it's gonna, here's a four-month training program. You're gonna have to change your diet, your exercise, et cetera, et cetera. But when you cross the finish line, it's gonna be really worth it. I'd like to see that same mindset brought to entrepreneurship. And again, it's why I wrote the book to say, listen, I'm not gonna tell you it's gonna be simple and easy and that there's an overnight success, there's no such thing. So go into it with that right mindset and those right expectations. And then your proclivity or chance for success, I think is much greater.
1: No, I I 100% agree. I always joke on the show that like, being an entrepreneur is probably the best and worst thing I've ever done. And I'll give you whether it's going good or bad with depending on the 15-minute interval I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> what part of you? It's like I was thinking it's like a similar analogy. It's like on a roller coaster, you know, it's like there's this straightaway and it feels kind of good. And then suddenly you're like, you know, being whipped upside down and you're like, what just happened? That's yeah. entrepreneurship. <laughs> exactly.
1: And like, and it's fine, and it's not for everybody, right? I think that's the other thing. It's like, you either, I feel like you either are or you aren't and like you can cross over, but it's also fine to not be one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely, it's absolutely fine not to be one. It is not, it, it does not mean any, it's not a dismissive notion or you can be a sole preneur and have no employees and run a really nice business. I think that's the other thing to our earlier conversation is there's a lot of great ways to um, contribute here. It doesn't have to be uh every massive success and measuring yourself against that all the time. That's a fool's errand.
1: No, I I think that's also really good advice, right? I think, yeah, it's, it's tricky because you're right to your point. Like you read so much of this stuff and everybody's trying to be the next like Zuckerberg and like, there's a lot of really good businesses that will are never going to be as big as Facebook that still get acquired, that still make people a lot of money that still get a lot of funding like, and et cetera, et cetera, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and all equally important is if you're thinking about it, are you going to enjoy it? You know, is it something you enjoy? Are you doing it for reasons other than, I you know, I, I say the same thing about entrepreneurship. It's the best and worst job I've ever had. Uh, but anyone who thinks who's doing it just for the money, you also, that's a pretty short runway because uh, there's so much that goes into it. It's so doggone hard that you know, the the financial aspirations get uh, washed away pretty quickly.
1: No, I 100% agree with you. But we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about Next Coast Ventures, the book, and anything else you want to mention?
0: Yeah, thank you. So um, as I mentioned earlier, all of our themes uh, were Austin-based, but we invest outside of Austin, but it's Next Coast Ventures, uh, full- full stop in terms of the web access for me and the entrepreneurial information. It's under my name, Mike Smirklow, which is S-M-E-R-K-L-O, mikesmirklow.com. On my website, I've got a uh, really neat, quick quiz for entrepreneurial readiness around the mental aspect. You can download a chapter of the book. The book is available on Amazon and my all my social handles are Mike Smirklow. So that is, uh, that's where you can find me.
1: Perfect. And, and again, all the book proceeds go to charity.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I'd love it if anyone, I think it's a great book, uh, obviously highly biased, but it's a pretty quick read. It's, uh, it'll make you laugh, I think, or at least make you be embarrassed for me for all the dumb things I did. But most <laughs> importantly, I hope, I hope entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs take away from it uh, some really practical advice and actions that they can do to uh, continue to stay in the journey.
1: Perfect. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. I really love the conversation.
1: Thanks. Thank again. you. Okay, bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at ElectricMantra.com and keep building the future.